Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. We're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Lionel Ramos covers race and equity for Oklahoma Watch, and redistricting has the potential to substantially change representation for those communities. Lionel, just for the sake of conversation and some clarity, could you explain the distinction between Hispanic and Latino as a census and cultural identifier? Yeah, so uh, the census uses the term Hispanic to um, identify people who have a or from a, a country that speaks Spanish. Um, Hispanic, the term is all encompassing, so that includes people from Latin America as well as Spain. Um, the term Latino is just a little bit more specific. It refers to people who have direct connections to South Central America. And um, basically, the separation is that South Central America are um, colonized nations or formerly colonized nations, while the um, Hispanic includes Spain, which are the colonizers. Um, and so there is a cultural little um, distinction there. Gotcha. What's changed for Oklahomans who identify themselves as Hispanic since the 2010 census? Yeah, so while the numbers, the number of people in Oklahoma who identify as white, non-Hispanic dropped from 68.7% to 60.8% um, since 2010, uh, Oklahoma's Hispanic population has grown from 8.9% of the state's total population to 11.1%. Um, so it's grown significantly. Uh, that's a 42.1% increase in just the Hispanic population alone. Uh, a majority of that growth when it comes to individuals has been in Oklahoma County on the south side of Oklahoma City, uh, where most of the Hispanic population in the state exists. But other counties saw some growth too, actually. Canadian County saw the highest percent increase at 110% of the total Hispanic population increasing there. Um, Logan County at 84% and Payne County at 797 what do the proposed congressional maps mean for the growing Hispanic population you just described? The new maps take the Hispanic population on, on the southwest side of Oklahoma City and uh, draw them into Congressional District 3 instead of leaving them in, in CD5, Congressional District 5, where they are now. Uh, this does two main things to that population. Um, it, partitions the it partitions it into three different districts. Um, where most of them are concentrated in Congressional District 3, uh, the rest in CD4 and CD5. Um, and what that does is it separates the Hispanic votes, right? It dilutes it by causing them to vote for uh, three different representatives at the congressional level. Um, and uh, Democrats are arguing uh, that it solidifies GOP incumbents in, in their districts, like Representative Stephanie Bryce, uh, Bice, sorry, and Tom Cole and Frank Lucas. So, uh, Lionel, if I understand correctly, you're saying that uh, where a lot of that Hispanic growth is in Oklahoma is on the south side of Oklahoma City, uh, all or almost all of which right now is in con Congressional District 5, House District 5, right? Yeah. And with the proposed map uh, that's been drawn, it would divide that into three different congressional districts, a big chunk of it going to District 3, uh, which is Lucas's district, where 
that part of the city once belonged to District 3. That's not a brand new thing. Part of it would go to Tom Cole in District 4 and part of it uh, to Stephanie Weiss in District 5, right? So it, it really divvies up that vote. Um, district 3, I think it should be noticed, is a pretty far-flung district that encompasses a great deal of rural western Oklahoma. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, as I've been uh, reporting on my story, uh, one of the main things that I've learned or one of the concerns that I've identified anyway talking to uh, Democratic lawmakers here in Oklahoma is that distinction, right? Uh, Hispanic or not, because there are some Hispanic people in Guyman, for example, which is in the panhandle, um, rural versus urban issues. You know, the things that they look for on the ballot are different. And and the people on in Congressional District 3 are mostly rural people, Hispanic or not. And, and the people in the south side of Oklahoma City uh, are really urban uh, people that live a very fast life and have very different issues. Um, they just look for different things. I get it. Did, have, you t- have you talked to any of that population on the south side of Oklahoma City yet? Do And, and if so, do you get a sense that they uh, – is there a feeling that that means their vote doesn't count? Is it, is it a feeling that their uh, vote becomes even more important to the incumbents? What's the – What's the sense uh, down there? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So I've I've gone to the southwest side of Oklahoma City and, and uh, walked into a few businesses, um, uh, one of which was La Oaxaqueña, uh, which is on on uh, Southwest Twenty Ninth Street, and uh, asked very briefly, you know, if they how they felt about the congressional maps, if they'd even looked at them, if they knew. And um, what I'm starting to find, based on that experience and some conversations I've had with some legislators. Um, the Latino Hispanic population isn't super aware of of what the congressional districts mean to them um, as a as a represent as a body that needs representation in Congress. Um, historically, uh, Latino uh, voting participation is low, and that's one of those reasons is that there's a not a lot of engagement between the population and and the way that the the government is working or supposed to be working for them. Got it. That makes sense. Thank you, Lionel. Be sure to read all of Lionel's race and equity coverage at oklahomawatch.org. Trevor Brown covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch and has been closely watching the redistricting process and studying some alternatives. But Trevor, Oklahoma, like most states, gives its legislature the power to redistrict their maps every 10 years. What are some of the other states doing? Yeah, so about 21 other states have some form of independent redistricting panel or committee. These can range from having, you know, like a five-member to a 15-member. It's almost different in every state. Um, the, the, the goal for these groups is to get politics out of redistricting because the people that have the most at stake sometimes are the politicians who don't always have the same values as the people that they're serving. So a lot of these states, they have things like they nominate, you know, a group of citizens could be in or out of politics, um, number of same number of Democrats or Republicans, and they're given guidelines and just told to draw the map. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Wasn't there a proposal to create something like that, an independent redistricting panel here before this 
this latest redraw of the map? What whatever happened to that? Yeah, so a group called People Not Politicians was trying to get a question on our ballot in 2020 that would um, ask voters whether we should shift the power of registering to an independent panel. Um, unfortunately for them, they were not able to make the ballot. That was partly because their ballot question was challenged in court, which delayed their signature collecting process. And then, of course, COVID hit, which also impacted their ballot collecting process, and they weren't able to pretty much have enough time to get it for on the ballot by November of last year, which would allow the panel to take effect this year. So they pretty much just missed the clock on that one. Uh, it, it looks like there'll be another push, though, to create an independent redistricting panel. What are the what are the prospects for that? <clears throat> yeah, so earlier this week, uh, Democrats introduced a bill that would pretty much do the same thing. It would be a constitutional amendment, so it would have to be a vote of the people. Um, now, the prospects for that are not great. Republican lawmakers who, of course, are in power in Oklahoma, where the GOP has supermajorities in the House and Senate, they are very against moving the restricting power from the legislature to this panel. Um, part of that is philosophically they don't believe that it could be formed in the proper way where it could be fair. And, of course, politicians don't want to give up power almost any time. So it doesn't really favor them politically to, to give up that power. So – Right, there's some talk that, that it, it can't be done, although 21 other states find a way to do it, so that doesn't seem like much of an argument. But, but certainly, uh, whichever party is in power uh, wants to have the ability to draw those lines because they can be drawn in such a way as to largely protect their jobs, right? So sure. um, uh, Democrats would do the very same thing if, if they had supermajorities and in both houses at the moment, we would assume. Isn't that true? Yeah, and almost all these states that have formed one of these panels, they were able to do it through a voter referendum. It's possible that um, people, not politicians or another group, can try to, again, get it on the ballot pretty much any time before the next round, which would be in 2020. So they have you know a good amount of time to get on there, but in all these states, it's almost been ballot initiatives because regardless of what party is in control they almost never want to give up their power sure um other than other than the uh, ability to form an independent panel what do opponents to that system uh have to say about it what's their their rationale for opposing an independent panel so one of the main arguments against it is that it's almost near impossible to completely take politics or make anything really independent you know, everyone that sits on this panel, even if they're citizens, they're likely going to have a political affiliation, whether it's Republican, Democrat, or Independent. you got to consider how to weigh those, who gets, to, who gets to sit on these panels, you know, how much authority should they be given. This is a huge decision that's going to impact, you know, a state for 10 years, and you want to have qualified people, but you want to have, you know, a good balance of Republicans, Democrats, Independents. And it's almost always the devil's in the details with a lot of these. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, there's still arguments. There's, you know, deadlocked decisions. There's, you know, proposals that no, no one's happy with. So that's that's one of the main 
strikes against it. And also, they, like I said before, you know, when they take the power away from the legislature, lawmakers don't like that. Sure. Um, you know, usually we say if nobody's happy, you probably did it right, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least it was no one, fair. no one could ever win completely on these things. Have you? Uh, and I, I don't know if you have or haven't, but in the the twenty one states that do have independent panels for drawing those district maps, uh, are there any that stand out as models for doing it particularly well, or that have a, a strong track record of success that? that might be a model Oklahoma could follow? Yeah, I believe that Arizona has recently moved to this model. Um, you know, Arizona is a state where, you know, a lot of things get very politicized in the last, you know, 10 years, as, especially as, you know, Republicans and Democrats have kind of changed power balances there. Um, I think they have a five-member committee. I'm not sure how they did this year, but um, I know there's a lot of people that were excited to get politics out of the argument, at least as much as they can. As they can. Are there, are there other systems that we know of for doing this? Could a, could a computer do it? Yeah, so I've asked some people about that, and, you know, the, they respond to me, there's people that program that computer. You know, there's, there's never going to be a, you know, maybe the algorithm is biased. Maybe it was programmed by somebody with, you know, a different type of interest, and you know, the fact is there's always, you know, a thousand different ways to redraw the lines. You can do it, you know, so many different ways that you can't completely make something fair when you have to move one area, and it's like a puzzle piece. You move one area, it affects another place. So there's always going to be people upset about it, and, you know, you're looking 10 years ahead, so when you're looking at demographic shifts, um, you know, what's fair today may not be fair in six or eight years. Sure. Well, thanks, Trevor. Listeners can read all of Trevor's democracy coverage at OklahomaWatch.org. Oklahoma Watch is a nonprofit organization specializing in investigative journalism. You can find us on the web at OklahomaWatch.org. I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. We'd like you to know that we're a 501c3, and in order to bring you consistent, investigative, nonpartisan journalism throughout Oklahoma, we rely on donors like you. During the months of November and December, we participated in a program called Newsmatch, where a couple of large public foundations match every single dollar that readers and listeners like you contribute to our organization. If you value the news that we provide, you can go to oklahomawatch.org, go to our donation page, and every dollar that you're able to donate will be matched by the Newsmatch program from now through the end of the year. Thanks for listening.